We are six women. We are wordsmiths. We are magic. We are curious. We are contradictions. We are wanderers. We are people of many names. We are mind trekkers and story weavers. We are adventurous spirits. We continue to grow. We've been baptized in the font of dream and memory. We are partly truth and partly fiction. I am Gail. I am Joanne. I am Margie. I am Katie. I am Marion. I am Mary. We are the Mystic Order of East Alabama Fiction Writers. Welcome to the Mystic Podcast. This is Mystic Katie. And I'm Mystic Queen. And I'm the Mystic Joanne. And I'm Mystic Margie. And we're missing two mystics, Mystic Marion and Mystic Mary, the two M's. Yep. So they'll just have to listen later. And well, they will. We, will. we miss having them here. Hopefully. Though. Yeah, hopefully listen. they will listen. That's well, right. we know Mary will listen because Mary is our editor. editor yes. So she'll have to listen. That's yeah, true. She'll have to listen. Our, our exceptional editor who's willing to take that on. So today we are going to revisit a subject that we vi- visited at the end of last year that hasn't made it to a podcast yet. And it's something, it's kind of appropriate, I think, that it hadn't made it because the topic is travel. And anybody who's been trying to travel over the last two years probably knows that every time you think you're going to go, it, stops, it, it yeah. stops. So I have just been curious to see how mystics have dealt with the travel through this time of COVID. And also just a little bit about what we will do, have done, or look forward to doing when we can actually do this again. But first, we want to start with a few mystic traditional comments. The first of which is a week that was mystic. Gail, you want to tell us about your week that was mystic? Well, it was actually two weeks ago. Does that count? It does. Well, I wrote... Uh, I've been writing a lot of poetry lately, and I wrote a poem about um, seven cardinals in a tree. And the reason I wrote it is there were seven cardinals in a tree right outside my house. And Oh, my. That is mystical in and of itself. <laughs> well, we, we have a lot of bird visitors. My, my husband has their gourmet treats down. So, <laughs> But anyway... I wrote this poem about seven cardinals, and the next day, a friend of mine from Tallapoosa County put a picture online of seven cardinals sitting in a tree. Oh, my. So I thought that was rather mystic. Yeah. I'm going to read the poem later. Oh, good. No, maybe I'll read it right now. Why wait? Yeah. (laughs) It's a good poem. Life is short. Go. (laughs) This is called Crimson Radiance. Seven cardinals are lingering at evening song. They are perched in the sugar maple with plumped winter feathers resembling leaves that fail to drop in autumn, each taking a turn flittering to the seated feeders, leaving the cages to sway in the dimming light. With dark, the flock will take their leaving, short migrations to the night nest. I drop the latch on the shutters and wait for morning song. That's beautiful. Very nice. Thank you. Thank so, you, you know, cardinals nice. are actually symbolic of the spirits of loved ones who are returning to, to reassure you. Oh. Um, so you had seven cardinal angels instead of seven Spanish angels, as that song says. Well, the so, problem with that is I don't have seven loved ones to return. I bet you do. I do? 
Well, seven people that you've known in your life who were angelic-ish. I was going to say, shall we go? I mean, you know, do we have to to qualify? I loved your mama. She was great. This one, Lorna, maybe Lorna's come to visit. Yeah. I can think of some. Oh, okay. So, Margie, tell us about your... Okay, well, my mystic moment actually involves my husband's mystic moment. And right after Christmas, he had some guys coming out to our house, a little cabin in the country, to build a new deck on the back. And uh, we were going to be out of town. We were going up to Ohio. So he wanted to lock up his wheelbarrow. So he chained his wheelbarrow to an anvil. And he had to go buy a lock to lock it up. Because, I mean, he didn't really know these guys, and he didn't want to lose his wheelbarrow. Okay, well, since then, he's been searching for those keys to unlock the wheelbarrow. And he's gone, he's searched everywhere for the keys and could not find them. So in last ditch effort, he prayed to his deceased mother, whose name is Margaret. Margaret, I know it's a lot of trouble for you, but will you please guide me to those keys? And that evening he got home and he looked right by the tv and there were the keys and he said oh his mama knew he'd be watching television well there's a little bit more so he said thank you thank you margaret so he gets back out to the country well those aren't the right keys and so he's looking on this little this little thing in the kitchen that has a little box and he looks at the box and he goes oh that box says on it keys in this box. He had put the keys in that little box. <laughs> All the time he was looking for keys, but they were actually looking for a box. And he went like, you didn't make it easy for me, did you, Margaret? <laughs> was Margaret a, Margaret a trickster in her life? <laughs> she was. Like she a was a coyote trickster. Yeah, she was, she was, a, she was a, one of the sweetest people who ever lived. And um, she would just say, oh, Wayne, <laughs> but anyway, he did find the keys, and he now has an unlocked wheelbarrow because he couldn't move the wheelbarrow in the anvil. Oh, no, no. And how many people have an anvil? That, that was the, my point to the story. How many people have an anvil Not that, many. They would, that they would, you know, change? Wa- Wally Coyote is about it, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> These well, days, and all our people that shoe horses, you probably have an anvil. Well, there's one. There is an anvil at my father's place, and at the place in Tuskegee where they used to shoe horses. So, yeah, there you go. they do still exist. But they are. I've been losing the same thing over and over, and that is I pressed a bunch of leaves and flowers, and I put them under something heavy, <laughs> and that's the end of the story. I don't know where in the house they are. Do you have an anvil? <laughs> no, but if I did, that would be where they are. Yeah. My my mother used to pray to St. Anthony. Oh, mm-hmm. I pray to St. Mm-hmm. Anthony daily. Mm-hmm. So, Joanne, I understand you might have a... A week that was mystic. When I was thinking of the week, um, I was thinking that we I've been out and about. It's getting to be springtime in Alabama. And my daffodils are blooming and my azaleas are budding out. And it's just kind of a magical time of of year for us. And... I've sent pictures to the mystics. We are pruning back the fruit trees, and I'm making things from the the sprouts of the fruit trees. I made a, a fence, and I am about to make some baskets. So it's what's all the name of a fence thing. that's made out of twigs? We have them in England. A twig fence? No, no. no. <laughs> we'll have to look that up. Maybe one of our readers will. That's well, actually, that could I be a good. I saw the yeah. idea for it when we were in Austria. 
and they had this fence made out of long twigs. Oh, so, look, yeah. Margie's got the telephone out. I I said, Google, Google look. knows everybody and the everything Google. and everyone. Well, don't, don't wait on me. Well, did, Katie, did you have a mystic week, or are you just waiting? I, I'm just going to wait and talk later. I, you know, my, <laughs> yes, no, I don't, didn't have anything that qualifies this week or last week <laughs> or that I can remember. <laughs> All right, so how about a mystic opus corner? Margie, I think you may have something to talk about there. Yes, well, we've read for our book group, Homegoing, by Yaa, Y-A-A, and her last name is G-U-A-S-I. And it's, an, it's, a, it's a very interesting book. It's about the slave trade, which is not a, you know, a great subject, but it tracks like these family histories. And it's, a, it's very interesting, but it's also very brutal. And um, so... I recommend it, but I also recommend, I did the audio version, and it's hard to keep up with because it covers generations from, you know, the 1700s up to the present day. And if you have the actual book, it has a genealogy in it, and so you could really keep up with the characters a little bit better. So, um, you know, I think it was, it was an inter- for, you know, especially for Black History Month, it was a very interesting book to read. Um, I think it was very difficult in a lot of ways because mm-hmm. it was so brutal, the things that happened. Mm-hmm. And what was the name of it again? Homegoing. Oh, yeah. I'm in that book group. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, you are, Gail. Don't and tell you anybody. read it. You read it. <laughs> she goes, I, I thought it sounded familiar. <laughs> I did. You know, some, I'm, already, I'm to the stage where I'm rereading books, and I get to the end and go, I've read this book before. So, <laughs> bad memory. <laughs> Joanne, I believe you might have something, too. I do, yes. Um, I am in, just briefly, I'm not in a a permanent book group, but right now I'm in a mystery um, story book group with the Ollie group, the Ollie people. And um, we have just read a book, or in the process of it, that really isn't a mystery to me, but it is This Tender Land by William Kent Kruger. Um, he has written another one. I think it's amazing. Ordinary Grace. Ordinary Grace. It won the Edgar Book Award, and it's just—it's basically about four orphans in the 1930s who have run away from an Indian school in Michigan, Minnesota, someplace up north. But very contemporary in that you know we've just had in the news about the Indian school in Canada where they found all these bodies. Well, these four, one of them being a Native American, run away from the school, and it's about their journey trying to find home, trying to find their true home. So it's, it's been very, very good. Very much, and somebody mentioned it today, like the Odyssey. Like there's one point where they are taken in by a guy with only one eye, like the Cyclops and mm-hmm. the Odyssey. Mm-hmm. And another time they're sleeping on the bank, the, the river that they're traveling down, and they hear this um, beautiful, yes, beautiful voice <laughs> and singing, and they follow it. You know, So there's a lot of that, and I suspect that at the end we're going to see that. The main character, it's written in the first, uh, uh, first person. His name is Odie. And I wonder if it's... It's Opie's okay. half-brother. Uh, no, oh, no, Odysseus. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what I thought yeah. of it. Maybe well, his true name may be Odysseus. Well, you know, uh, oh, brother, well, where art thou? Yes. Thou. Uh, that was like an odyssey. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. exactly. Is yeah. um, 
Ollie Opie's half-brother? It's Ollie Opie. Ollie is actually, his brother is Albert. <laughs> so there's no Opie or Ollie to it. <laughs> well, what is Ollie? Ollie is the Ashner Lifelong Learning Institute. And basically, it is somewhat of a folk school where, you know, you take classes, but there's no grades. You don't even have to show up for them if you don't want to. But it is... Um, it is just a, a fun place. I take hiking. I take painting. I've do you learned have, the history of the church. Do you have to be 70 to be an Ollie? No, you just have to be over 50, actually. Oh. But it's those of us who are still working well into their their 60s, um, still are for that <laughs> matter. Um, <laughs> you know, usually when you hit about that magical age of retirement, it's a good, it's a good place to go, go play. Okay. Keeps your brain sharp. <laughs> and Google has told us that a twig fence is called a wattle yes, fence. Yes, that's it. Ah, W-A-T-T-L-E. Okay. Yes. I was hoping Thank you, one Google. of our listeners was going to tell us that. Um, oh, that, sorry. <laughs> we can right. get Mary to edit this out, so no, don't no, have to guess. No, 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 no. <laughs> no editing. Okay. Not that we ever edit, no. our no. listeners. Um, so for my opus corner, I, I wanted to mention Louise Erdrich's latest book, and I adore oh, her anyway. Yes. But the latest one is called The Sentence, and it's um, a play on words on lots of different levels. And I'm not going to go into much detail except that it's about um, a Native American woman who um, ends up running a bookstore, and that and there's a book and a ghost and all kinds of things involved in it. So it, it's just really intriguing. And it's one of the first books I've read recently, or it's one of the first books that talks about COVID and how it's affected people oh. that I think does it in such a, an interesting way about, you know, sort of goes back through the early days of COVID and then how that affected the lives of the people, the characters in this. Um, but anyway, it's, I can highly recommend it. It's just a really good read. I didn't want it to end because I wanted to know what would happen next. Aren't so. those the best books? Mm-hmm. The best and the worst yeah. books because yeah. you really don't want them to mm-hmm. end. Absolutely. All right, so the next thing we could talk about, should talk about, is the mystic stamp of excellence in film and anything else we care to stamp. And Gail, I believe you have something. I do. Um, I think the... Um, topic that I hear most often at book club when we're not talking about book is who's seen something good streaming and so I'm going to recommend The Tender Bar and it's on Amazon Prime and it's a movie it's not a series we like series because that keeps us interested for an entire week or two but this is a wonderful movie and I highly recommend it great The Tender Bar yeah um, so I would like to recommend, there, we are in a community where there are a number of wonderful locally owned bookstores. And it's in bookstores, bookstores, but um, coffee shops. That's what I really meant. Sometimes there are books involved with the coffee shop. Um, but I have fallen deeply in love with the new one that's over near where I live in Opelika called the Melanin Cafe. And it is a black owned um, coffee shop. And all of the drinks are named after either like characters or moments or and you know I went I, when I go there and I don't get to go as often as I like you can just walk in and kind of tuck in and try all of the different concoctions but it's just the most amazing welcoming place as well as 
this month they've been doing a lot of programming around Black History Month and had artists come in and do art classes and readings and things like that. But if you live anywhere in the Auburn Opelika area, Google the Melanin Cafe and stop in and and have a, a delicious drink as well as they have some food and stuff too. But it's mainly just the vibe there is just amazing. So the coffee is named after famous um, black it might people. Be black, it might be black people in history or events or things like that. So where, where in Opelika? It is um, near Southern Union and, all, and Opelika High School at that oh, okay. intersection where there's a, a shopping center. Um, where oh, yeah. Winn Dixie. I know. Yeah. yeah. I know yeah. Is. Mm-hmm. yeah. So. Okay. okay. Good to know. Um, so I think our next category is Mystic Bites, and I believe everyone. I want to say something about Mystic Bites. Um, every old person I know has said to me, "I am sick of cooking. I'm tired of cooking." Even some great cooks that you know have their own farm-to-table place, and I, I sort of have taken up that call, and I've started collecting recipes that are for people who are sick of cooking. <laughs> I have a friend that has a cookbook that says three or less ingredients, and she's always been sick of cooking. But I thought we could come up with some recipes for you people who are sick of it, and even maybe some of you like school teachers who come home and have so much more work to do. And here are some recipes, and I think our Mary is going to put them online too. And should Very I start good. with Yes, mine? please do. We cooked this delicious dish for... Um, from this... Uh, amazing Alabama. Yeah, yeah. From the TV show. All about Alabama. Alabama. Yeah. Is that that's not the name of <laughs> no, it? No, Fred is Hunter. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you. I, I knew there was an A. <laughs> you know, I can't believe I can't remember it because I've been watching all the reruns too. They're great. There. I think he was expecting us to cook, so I, I think we disappointed <laughs> him. But what this is is you just get a plain box of brownies from the store. It can be Pillsbury, it can be Betty Crocker, it can be X Brand. And you look on the back, and it generally says add two eggs, a fourth a cup of water, and two-thirds a cup of oil. Well, I have a good friend that lives near one of those fancy oil and... Olive oil places. Yeah, yeah. with oil and vinegar places. And she keeps bringing me blood orange olive oil. You substitute the blood orange olive oil for the oil parts. You put two eggs, a fourth a cup of water, and two-thirds a cup of blood orange olive oil. Bake these brownies till they're really done and man, they're good. They were yummy. They were yummy, yes. So, Margie, what have you got? Well, uh, to make your life easier, you need to get a grandchild that goes to Auburn who will come every week and cook your dinner. And all you have to do is buy all the ingredients. I always going to say, and that's just one ingredient, a grandchild that yes, cooks. the most important great ingredient. So Maggie comes over every Tuesday, although this week she's coming on a Thursday, and um, she made for us the last time chopped Thai-inspired chicken salad, Mm. and it was delicious. And it's got lots of ingredients, but, you know, she put them all together, and it was really, really good. And we'll get Mary to put that exact recipe on, but it's got um, a simple chopped Thai chicken salad, uh, has big flavors, peanut, lime, soy, chili, cilantro, topped with homemade peanut dressing. Healthy and fresh. Mm. And the easy part of this was you didn't have to cook. Right, exactly. (laughs) I didn't have to cook. I just have to have the granddaughter come 
and put all the ingredients that I did have to shop for. Yeah. How, long, how long did the shopping take? Yeah. Yes, it took me quite a while to find all the. I could not find That's sesame she oil. She has a personal shopper now. Yeah. Yeah. Sesame oil at the Kroger. I mean, they had it at Publix, but anyway, we had to live without you the You could sesame. have called me. I know. I could have called any of the mystics. I know. That we have all have sesame oil. And Maggie said, I have it all the time. That's right. It's very <laughs> good. But anyway, that was it was very good. I think you're cheating. Cheating? Yeah. Yeah. Because I don't have any grandchild to cook for me. So I think you need Maggie. To adopt one. No, I think Maggie ought to come over here oh, and cook the same. I could farm her out. <laughs> okay. Sweet Maggie. She loves to cook. She does. Not only that, but she's a beautiful model. Oh, she is. Oh, my she gosh. Is. Yes. Yes. So, Joanne? Well, I am talking about three, actually, it's probably four ingredients, but a while back, you know, we are coming out of the winter, but we probably will have one more cold snap, but there's nothing better on a, a winter evening than soup, and I cooked homemade tomato soup for the mystics, mm. and they all loved it, but yeah. actually, I'm giving away my secret now. Um, it was a can of Campbell's tomato soup with a can of diced up tomatoes and basil. Um, and then if we were feeling, if you're feeling really rich and decadent, you add half a can of half and half. Or vodka. Oh, vodka. No, 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 no. No wine in it. But No, um, vodka is not a wine. <laughs> I know. Or alcohol. No alcohol in it. Um, but And just simmer it, and it comes out like it's homemade. That so. exact recipe is made by a friend of mine, but she does put an eighth of a cup of vodka in it. Does she really? Same and recipe. I'm sure it'd be delicious. Well, I'll have yeah. to try it. Yeah. Know. Well, we, we should put more than an eighth of a cup if we're going to try it. <laughs> That's true, because it cooks Well, off. you know, they say <laughs> that vodka. if you cook with wine or anything, you should be the same um, beverage that you would drink. So it's mm -hmm. drink a little vodka, pour it in the soup. Drink a little mm. vodka, pour yeah. it in the soup. <laughs> I have a very long story from Italy about that, but I'll save that for another program. <laughs> well, we are on um, travel. We are, but this is, I, I better clear it with the person who's the guilty party before I mention oh, it. I so I, I have this go-to recipe that I try to keep. It's The good news is it's a year-round sort of fresh thing. So everybody loves tomatoes mm -hmm. in the summertime, of course, when they taste so good and you can just eat them off the vine and... But, you know, during the rest of the year, it's yeah. hit or miss. Da, da, da. But what I have found is that if you take tomatoes and try to find some nice ones, but even canned ones would work, and dice them and add basil and olive oil and balsamic and salt and pepper, then you can use that on top of bruschetta, you know, on, on toasts. You can use it on top of pasta. And so we tend to keep a container of that in our refrigerator almost all the time and actually it gets better over time as it that as sounds it, but it's mm -hmm. so easy and even when you find winter tomatoes that are yeah you know not great it's still really good and and I do I will say I like fresh tomatoes better than canned ones because of just the texture right. as a rule yes. but anyway it's such an easy thing to make and just have ready to go and use it on anything um, or eat it just by the spoonful out of a Container. I'll tell you a winter tomato that's great is Campari tomatoes. Mm -hmm. They're the ones in the little plastic box. That's the only thing I have against them is... They're in a little plastic they're plas box. They're in plastic. <laughs> they are good, yeah. though. They're, they are. Campari is what I live off of in the winter when I'm missing. If you people are listening from not the south, the 
Come down sometime in the summer and have a tomato yes. sandwich in the oh, south. Our tomatoes um, are amazing. Gee, it is. It's gone. It's like going to heaven. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, any anything else bite-wise? Any other nibbles or bites that we want to talk about before we get into the meat of the subject? Pardon the pun. <laughs> <laughs> I guess not. I guess no. <laughs> so, so let's talk about travel. And so one of the things I'm really curious about, and I, I sort of know this, but our listeners might not, even though we have two mystics who claim they never travel, they, they do. They may just travel closer to home. But I would like each of you just to take a couple of minutes and talk about what kind of travel you tend to do. Are you a world traveler, a local traveler, um, sort of that feel for things? And then we can go from there. So Margie, will you start? Well, I kind of consider myself a world traveler because mm-hmm. I've I've taught I've taught and studied abroad all over Europe. Plus, I had a son that lived in China, so I've been there. And then I travel with a circle of friends who go to places like Colombia and Croatia and Southeast Asia. So yeah, I am. But I love to travel locally. But what I like to do is like kind of have yourself be stationary in one place and then adventure out from that. And that was true of our study abroad programs because we would be based in like Paris, but then, you know, you would do, well, Paris, there's so much to see or London, but still it's, it's nice to have one place that you can stay for a number of weeks if you can do that and then really immerse yourself and, you know, learn all the little local restaurants and find your own little wine shop and things like that. I like that. I, I don't really like to do, Group travel is fine. I mean, I guess we have to travel with a bunch of students, but we're kind of in one place uh, for a while. Margie, I bet you found your own little wine shop the very first day in the first 20 minutes. I did, and that the little <laughs> man that ran it was so nice. I would just, what is the best rosé? <laughs> Ah, yes, the locals know. (laughs) So, Joanne, I I know you just got back from some world travel, but in general, what do you think of yourself as? you know, as growing up, I always wanted to be a world traveler. I went to Europe for the first time at 16, and my husband and I have traveled as far away as Japan. But in recent years, we have, you remember that commercial, and I'm giving my age away, See America First. Mm -hmm. Um, So we have been seeing America first. Um, We've been to Alaska. We've been to California, Oregon, Washington, Colorado, Wyoming. But more recently, and within COVID, um, we have been seeing just around the corner, Alabama, Georgia, and much closer to home. And that's what I'll talk about today. Gail? Well, for a long time, I did not travel abroad. I'd stay around the United States, Canada, Mexico, the islands. And I just really never got to a place in my mind where I knew people there. And finally, I met some German people who invited me to Germany, and then I got bitten by the bug. Mm -hmm. And so since then, I've done a lot of traveling. I went to Germany maybe six or seven times when I was in the antique business, I'd go to all the flea markets, but, but I've expanded out since then. But I'll go anywhere. If you have a trip plan, just call me. I'm already packed. <laughs> so let me know. And I can pack in a little teeny tiny suitcase with all my black clothes and two pair of shoes and, and then another suitcase for my medicines. But <laughs> <laughs> We have reached an age, haven't we? Yes. Yeah. So I am... I, think of myself as as a, a wander traveler because while I love a well-planned trip I 
particularly love to go somewhere and do sort of what Marty was talking about, but have a home base and then just have no agenda except to wander and discover. But I also really prefer to travel to places where you can be outdoors. So Mm -hmm. hiking, while I love the cultural and the eating and things like that, it's that ability to be either hiking or birding or looking at eclipses is something my husband and I have been able to do. So the the more that involves the outdoors, the better. And I will go anywhere that I, I would almost go anywhere unless I really thought it was it was dangerous. So I, I have no, you know, I have bucket lists sort of, but it's more interesting. It's like if there's an opportunity to go somewhere that I've never been, I will be there. Plus, I'll be glad to go back to a lot of places I've already been. Yes. I can't go back because I'm too old now. Mm-hmm. I have to, you know, if I'm going to complete my bucket list, I, I will not be seeing those places mm-hmm. again. Mm-hmm. I'll keep them in my heart, though, if I can remember I've been there. Right. <laughs> yes, if we can remember. That's right. Yeah. Sometimes I have to ask Bob when somebody <laughs> says, have you ever been to Belgium? And I'll say, Bob, have we ever been to Belgium? <laughs> or San Antonio or um, yeah. <laughs> Santa Fe. <laughs> That's well, a private joke. Well, since my son lives in L.A., I will say I've visited L.A. more than any person from Alabama. Mm, no doubt. <laughs> and the, you know what? I used to go into L.A., and it's so big and so trafficy, and I just hated it. But then my son is a tour guide, so he knows where to go in L.A., and now I just love going there. And I think that goes to what Margie's talking about. You know, when you see the big picture like New York or L.A. or any big city, Atlanta for that matter, but once you know the ins and outs of it, it becomes a small town all of mm-hmm. a sudden, you know, because you have your little museums, you have your little wine shops, you have all these, and you can live more like the local, and that's fun. Mm-hmm. That's a lot Speaking of fun. Speaking of museums, this is totally off the subject, but I got a note <clears throat> on my email that said my donations for the year, and it lo- listed every museum I've been to. Oh, wow. Wow. And it was the cost of getting in. And I did notice when we, uh, Katie and I went to the Jean Autry Museum, of course, because Katie's, you know, all into horses mm. and stuff. <laughs> but uh, I did notice he said, we'll take it's, a It's contra- the cowboys. We'll I'm take a, co- <laughs> yeah, all <laughs> into the cowboys. Uh, we'll take your contribution of $36 each or something like that. It was said that way. So I'm going to ask my accountant about this because if it's true, I'm going to be getting a whole mm-hmm. lot of taxes back. Yeah, there you go. And lucky that you got that. Though. Mm-hmm. That's why I couldn't keep up. One thing I'm also curious about is what each of you look for. So, uh, you know, a lot of people travel, like I said, for nature or whatever. So I think, Gail, you have some something that you almost look for every time you go somewhere. So talk to us about your travel <clears throat> Well, I could, focus. I could take the rest of our time. There's four of us here, and y'all could just sit there and tap your foot talking about I'm a, I'm a tapophile. Uh, it's also a tombstone tourist, and I never go to a town that I do not go to their cemeteries. There are so many to mention, and I've tried to just put them in the mention bunch, and then I'm going to talk a little about Pierre Lachey. My mention graveyard is the old Jewish graveyard in Prague. If you've ever oh going gosh. to Prague, go there first. It's amazing. You can go online and look at all the pictures. Very beautiful and humbling. My next mentioning, I'm going to mention um, where Muhammad Ali is buried, and that's in Louisville, Kentucky. And it's The cemetery is named Cave Hill Cemetery. And during the Victorian era, that's when people 
started making cemeteries into gardens. So they're garden cemeteries, and they're usually beautiful. Pierre Lachey is also one. I highly recommend Cave Hill Cemetery. And if you live in Louisville, Kentucky, you can walk there every day and find something new. And a lot of artwork, some beautiful monuments. Then also, I have to mention three cemeteries in L.A., in Los Angeles. And all of them, of course, have movie stars in them. I want to talk about Forest Lawn briefly because when we went there, there was a warning sign that said anybody removing fresh flowers from these graves will be prosecuted. And I looked into the graveyard and there were herds of deer eating all the fresh flowers <laughs> off the graves. <laughs> and I kept deer. saying, you're going to be prosecuted. <laughs> And then there's also Hollywood Forever, and that's where most of the stars are planted. <laughs> uh, Burt Reynolds, uh, Cecil B. DeMille, Fay Ray, Bugsy Siegel, Judy Garland, and I could go on. Mickey Rooney, uh, Rudolph Valentino. So that's a must, just to go look at your star graves. But my very favorite California, L.A. graveyard is called the Pierce Brothers Westwood Village Memorial Park. And it has a lot of stars, but what's memorable about it is what's on the stars' graves. Rodney Dangerfield's grave says, there goes the neighborhood. <laughs> Merv Griffin's grave says, I will not be right back after this message. Dean Martin says, everybody loves somebody sometimes. <laughs> and Billy Wilder says, I'm a writer, but then nobody's perfect. <laughs> but the uh, graveyard that has captured my imagination is one in Paris, and it's Pierre Lachey Graveyard. And it was also in the early Victorian era cemetery. I, I say a graveyard, it's not a graveyard. A graveyard has to be next to the church, and it's for the people of the church. It's a cemetery, Pierre Lachey. The Pierre Lachey at the time was outside Paris, and nobody wanted to go that far to bury their uh, dead. Of course, now it's right in the center of Paris, because Paris is huge. And also, it hadn't been blessed by the Catholic Church, so the only 13 people got buried there. So in order to get more commerce, so to say, <laughs> dead people... <laughs> They moved Abelard and Helloway's graves there, and they're the oldest bones in the cemetery. So now that was to draw more dead people yeah, or more live people. The, the, okay, more dead people, not visitors, not. Yeah, we wanted. They wanted to. Stay. Uh, they wanted to make some money, I guess. Okay, off the gotcha. graveyard. Okay. And speaking of making money off the graveyard, you can. Pierre Lachey has a waiting list. And the only way a grave comes open is if it's been there 30 years and the children of the person dead or the, the uh, relatives do not pay the amount and they'll just dig you right up mm. and put someone that will. And the amount is $20,000, around Put 20, you in an ossuary. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But some of the famous people that are buried there are Oscar Wilde, Sarah Bernhardt, Isadora Duncan, Gertrude Stein... Marcel Marceau, Chopin, and on top of his grade, grave is uh, the Greek muse, Aterpe, is that how you would say? E-U-T-E-R-P-E. She's the muse of music. Also, Jim Morrison. Yes. And Mar Jim Morrison's grave always has a guard 
because a lot of people go there to smoke the wacky weed and <laughs> they leave bottles and handwritten letters. We saw them there when we were walking through. I don't know if they were smoking the wa- wacky weed, but they certainly were. It's not a very impressive grape, though. No, 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 it's not. But the people around it are <laughs> <laughs> more interesting. <laughs> it looked like a pop festival. <laughs> <laughs> so there are a million people Looks like the after there. party <laughs> the after party <laughs> after one of his but concerts I like the graveyards I love the history and my son likes to go to graveyards too when we travel I like the history but I love the beauty of the marble mm. and there is one more graveyard it's in Cuba and I don't remember the name but if you ever get to go to Cuba because I was on the last boat to Cuba mm. and after that we were cut off but if you ever get to go there, be sure and go to the graveyards, and that goes for anywhere else. Yeah, I fully agree. I think it's it's a Me cultural too. opportunity to see what people were are like and and things like that. But it is it's just so much fun to read the headstones and yeah, think about the history behind them. Mm-hmm. So, Joanne, when you travel, is there something particular you focus on, or tell, just tell us about what your travel? And I will tell you that recently, Jimmy and I have always been campers. And so we, when we went to Wyoming, I mean, we camped on a tent on the ground. And as I tell people, global warming has made the ground so hard that we, <laughs> <laughs> that we finally broke down during COVID and bought an RV. Part of it was because we had never had such a vehicle before that we stayed close to home at first. And then we did it because Alabama... Florida, Georgia have so much to offer. It was really like, why would we go anywhere else? Mm-hmm. And so in, in the last year alone, we our maiden voyage was to Wind Creek Park on Lake Martin. And that was, you know, it's a huge campground, but we went during February, so it wasn't so bad. But it was beautiful with the lake. They have a lighthouse that you can climb to. And as you were saying, you know, we look for hiking trails and biking trails. We're bikers as well, not motorcycle bikers, but... <laughs> Cyclists rather than bikers. Cyclists. You don't there have we go. leather jackets yeah. with a fringe on Well, I have a leather yeah, jacket, but no, not to ride on my bike. <laughs> and the then... <laughs> Hell's Angel camp, campers. <laughs> <That's> right. <laughs> right. A good Catholic girl. Oh, there we go. Good Catholic bikers. <laughs> the no. camp angels. Michael, Michael's marauders, or St. Michael's marauders, or something <laughs> like that. Um, then we ventured out to Chiha, which is, of course, in the northern part of the state from where we are. And, you know, Bald Rock, Pulpit Rock, there were just so many little trails to go. And you would go up there and see these vistas like that you could look like you saw forever. Um, but one of my favorite places, we ventured over into Georgia to a place called Bobby Brown Park. And we didn't know it at the time, but it is at the convergence of the Broad and the Savannah River. And Jimmy had been doing his genealogy and realized that the camps had a plantation there. Now, where it was is underwater now because they backed up the Savannah. (laughs) But we were able to see that little bit of history there. But the reason that we went there initially was the Georgia Guidestones. And in Elberton, Georgia, which is the granite capital, I think, of the southeast or maybe of the United States, they, they mine granite. And an unknown, anonymous donor went and wanted this monument to be made. And it's a little bit like a mini Stonehenge. 
It is a granite monument espousing conservation of mankind. And the message is written, there's a message written on the top in four different ancient languages, Sanskrit, Babylonian cuneiform, Egyptian hieroglyphics, and classic Greek. But the main message is written on the huge slabs um, that form the posts, if you will, of this monument. And it is written in English, Russian, Hebrew, Arabic, Hindi, Chinese, Spanish, and Swahili. And it has his own ideas of how mankind should act. One of them is to maintain humanity under 500 million in perpetual balance with nature. A, that the passions, faith, tradition should, should rule um, with tempered reason, protect the nations with fair laws and just courts. He advocates a one language to unite humanity. Who, whose words are these? We don't know. Oh. It's a, an anonymous donor. He came in and paid boo koodles of money and no one knows his name when they told him, you have to give us a name. You know, if you're handing us tens of thousands of dollars. We have to know where this money is coming from. He just called himself Mr. Christian. Hmm. Yes. And so, but no one to this day knows who, of course, they took his money and they made the monument, but no one knows who the actual guy was. And well, I think we should collect some money among ourselves and have them put up a mystic monument. <laughs> we can do that. We can absolutely do that. And Elberton has got plenty of granite. But my favorite thing on the whole uh, monument was the last one written in all these languages is, be not a cancer on the earth. Mm. Save room for nature. Save room for nature. So that's one of the places we went. And then from there, we went to... Um, the Natchez Trace. Mm. So every month we would go to a different place. Um, and we started off in Moundville, which is the mosquito capital of the world. <laughs> There's a fire ant story to go with that. Too, is there really? Yeah. Oh my gosh, the mosquitoes were horrible. It's right on the Warrior River. But it was just, uh, talk about a mystical place mm -hmm. to be. You're in all those Indian mounds. I think there's something like 60 of them there. And it was just, I just had to go out and stand in the midst of the 23 that are obvious. It was just absolutely beautiful. But from there, we went to a little town called Valde Valdalia, and not Georgia, but Mississippi, right on the Mississippi River. And we stayed there on the Mississippi River. Do you know they have black squirrels on the Mississippi River instead of little brown gray squirrels? Mm. Wow. It was interesting. Well, that's just wrong. <laughs> well, no, it's a camouflage thing or something. It, I you know, think it must be, to yes, be a, with a an, black an adaptation dirt. to but from there we Mystic trace Mary has flying squirrels. Ah, she does. I, we yeah. used to have some in our They're backyard. They're so cute. But we had um, we traveled from we did it kind of backwards. We traveled south to the north, so toward Natchez, and we only got halfway. But we stayed in little campgrounds as we were going up and took How our time. How old is your camper? Our camper in real life is about. Seven years old. You mean it has a fake like life? Dog life? It does. Dog it has versus, our life, yeah. and our in our life, it is only a year old, and we've been all these places. <laughs> it's about seven years old. It is about seven years old. We got it new. Um, we bought it from a guy who was a triathlete, and he would take his wife and young daughter on all these bouts where he would go 
swam running by bike. And then they got tired of going, so he figured, what the heck, I don't need this anymore. <laughs> He's going to stay in a fancy hotel. <laughs> yeah, right. They can stay home. Because yeah. after, yeah, after yeah, leave the kid and the wife at home and <laughs> stay at the Ritz. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be tired after that swimming and biking. <laughs> but next we travel to Def- DeSoto Falls, which mm. everyone knows. But yeah. we saw the falls from the opposite side, not the touristy side. And we had to hike through the woods to get there. But it was absolutely gorgeous. And so one night, we just went into Mentone, which is, Mm -hmm. um, if anybody knows that little town, full of craftsmen, um, just delightful. They had a wonderful hotel there that burned. Mm, Yeah. We used to go there. And I went to a wedding there. And uh, we got lost trying to get home. And drove back by the hotel and the bride and groom and the parents were all walking out with all the presents in their arm and they'd seen us two hours later and we're zipping by again. <laughs> you know, they say that if you really, this is, I read this on a, a blog for RVers, if you really want to see the locals and we were talking about getting in amongst mm-hmm. the locals, they said, look for a wedding oh, <laughs> and yes, just kind of crash yes. it. Said, you know, the bride's side doesn't know who you are and yeah. the groom's side doesn't know who you are because you invite Food might be really good. Yeah, that's and right. <laughs> you great. You're third and fourth cousins to come to the wedding. So who, who when we got lost in Mentone, uh, my husband kept stopping at these gas stations with little shops, you know, mm-hmm. and saying, run in there and get directions, because he, I guess, can't by virtue of his cannot. gender. It's not in the <laughs> yeah. exactly. And I'd go in there, and there'd be, there would be someone from Pakistan that had just bought the stop and go, you know, and he, I would try to get directions for them, and I'd come out and go. They don't speak English. Or they haven't lived here long enough themselves. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> no you go. Bob goes, what do you mean they don't speak English? We're in Georgia. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It does yeah. not, it's not mattering. But we stayed in a delightful place on um, outside of Mentone toward, uh, well, it was near Anniston at a little, it's called the Chief Ladiga Bike Trail, mm-hmm. and it's one of those rails-to-trails places. And this was a campground on milestone or mile marker seven of the bike trail. And so we just stayed there. We boondoggled, which means there was no electricity. There was no hookups. There was a a nice little bathhouse, so we were without. But I was so taken with it, Margie, that I wrote some um, haikus. Margie is our haiku writer. (laughs) And so it's... um, One of them is, night on the campground, fireflies dancing in the trees, earthly shooting stars. Uh Nice. And chief Ladiga path, smooth riding surface, petals and flowers. Oh. Those are nice. Yeah. So we, um, we... Like I said, we we had a good time there. It was miserably hot there, and without electricity, we did not have um, air conditioning, because that was in June. And so, but there was a lovely little mountain stream, and I got my folding chair and sat it in the middle of the stream, and I was up to my waist in mountain water, which was very cool. That was cool. (laughs) So you you learned that was your shower. (laughs) It was exactly bath shower. Mm -hmm. We go, and then since then, in September, we went up to the Bankhead National Forest. Um, for our honeymoon, I call it our honeymoon, our anniversary, we stayed at uh, Fort Morgan Campground. And one night there was gale force winds that were causing our camper to rock. 
but we could hear the ocean as well. So it was like being on a boat, actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or a hurricane. <laughs> or a hurricane, yes, anyway. Your, your land yacht. <laughs> but we found, with our bicycles, we found a little private beach, and it was absolutely, I mean, like the beaches you don't find in mm. Alabama or Florida anymore. Because that's where the drug boats come in. I was going to say, me and the, well, you would appreciate this, because the only two people on the beach were Jimmy and I and two fishermen. It could have been Gail and Bob. Um, And then our most recent was down to Andalusia, a little place called Open Pond. That was in December, and it was still lovely. We couldn't go swimming in Open Pond because there were alligators, Mm. and there was a big sign saying, (laughs) alligators, beware. But those are just our local travels, so we've really enjoyed the, the And you should not take your grandchildren there. No, 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 no. no. They or were small dogs. Absolutely, exactly. <laughs> no, probably. Exactly. <laughs> All right, Margie, tell us about your either travels or your adventures. or. Whenever I'm in a city, I really like to go. I mean, I love cemeteries, too, and I also love exploring and hiking. I, I do like to explore museums because I'm an artist, and I you know, and I also like to find contemporary art galleries as well. But in addition to that, I love visiting ancient sites. Uh, you know, a great place to go is southwestern United States, and I've been, you know, all over Four Corners, and Chaco Canyon is just a must, but just if you go Go there, rent a four-wheel drive vehicle. Do not rent a little mm. Pinto, <laughs> which we did, and you almost lose your insides by this this road going. But I do love that, you know, the exploring. Around here, I mean, there are lots of um, ancient sites, but the Amolgi Mounds that are in Macon are quite interesting, and they've done a lot of work. Macon, Georgia is not too far from Auburn, probably two hours. How do you spell Amulgi? O-M-U-L-G-E-E. It was a culture that lived there thousands of years ago. Mm -hmm. I don't know the exact dates. But I did buy a little Amulgi man, which is this little (laughs) ceramic sculpture, a little clay sculpture. It's so cute. I'll make a picture of it and send it to Mary to put on the site. And it was found in one of the graves. Mm. Um, But not all the mounds. And of course, up in Etowah, Georgia, Mm -hmm. there are the big mounds. And a lot of those have not been excavated. When you're in Ireland, of course, you've got um, Newgrange, which is older than, and of course, England Stonehenge, but Newgrange is one of the oldest tombs on earth. And you can see the solstice of when it rises mm. when you're in, inside of the tomb because it goes down and the sun comes up. So it's really, you know, all of those ancient grave sites contemporary cemeteries, but also the ancient sites, which were usually graves. Isn't it remarkable how they knew that? Like I said, the Georgia Guidestones, too, had that where you could track the moon Mm -hmm. and track the summer and winter solstice as well as the equinoxes just through little holes in the monument. It was just really remarkable. Also, you know, Katie, you were talking about following, um, you know, different events like the, mm-hmm. the like the, you know, eclipses, the eclipses things and like things that. like mm-hmm. that. And that's a really, and then also the only place I've really um, traveled south of the equator is um, uh, Chile. And you have a whole different sky mm-hmm. there. And it's so interesting oh, to yeah. learn you know, to see the, see the Southern Cross for the first time, <laughs> you know, yeah. the, the, you know everything's different. And there are a lot of dark skies there, you know, because it's not heavily populated, plus they're high altitudes, too. So mm-hmm. anyway. Did so you get sick? No, I didn't. 
I didn't. I went up, we went up to like 15,000 feet to these geysers that erupt at five o'clock in the morning. Oh my and gosh. it's, oh, I mean, uh, just Chile is just an incredible country to explore, uh, all of South America. But you never know if you're going to get altitude sickness, just like you don't ever know if you are going to get seasickness. You just may get it and may not. And we had a little oxygen um, containers that you could breathe. I mean, they just squirted up your nose if you're feeling, but if you, the, cure is go down. If you start feeling headachey, nauseous, whatever, just get to a lower altitude. Do not try mm-hmm. to, because you could really get you really You might have to travel soon. a long way to go from 15,000, though, even down to 10,000 feet, Marky. But at least no, you're headed in the right direction. Unless you're time. falling. We were in these, <laughs> tand- <laughs> with these tandem buses driven by, um, this was a study abroad with students, uh, these Bolivian brothers, because Bolivia is very high altitude, and those people are pretty used to it. But one of our vans, ours, had a flat tire, and it was like zero degrees, and we're going up there in the middle of the night so we can get up to see the geysers. But they changed the tire. We proceeded. It was one of the coldest I've ever been in my life. I didn't have good enough gear. I didn't have my fur-lined boots. Mm-hmm. But uh, it was awesome, though, you know. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, Margie, with you as an artist, do you try to look at local art everywhere you go, or is that, is that a priority for you? And also as an inspiration? Definitely. I try to see what, what artists are doing, you know, if I can find a contemporary mm-hmm. gallery, just to see, I mean, I'm interested in everything that's been done, and I just think it's fine. And a lot of times if you visit, you know, like a university and their art department, that's a really good way. We saw some incredible shows when we were in Ireland that way, you know, just going into the universities. Yeah, and often a free way to look at at things that you might not, you know, ever get to see. That's a great idea. I wish I'd thought about that. Mm -hmm. That's wonderful. Yeah. So one thing that, for me, about travel is that I really do think, you know, it's the old saw, but I think that travel breaks down barriers. Mm -hmm. And to be able to have a better idea of how other people live and to, even if you don't make permanent connections with people overseas, you have experienced and broadened your horizons. And that can happen in the next door county too. So I think anytime you get out there and you travel and you try to immerse yourself in something else that's beyond your usual parameters, then I think that's a wonderful thing. For me, the best part of travel are the things you don't expect. Yes. So it's when you're wandering around and you're, you know, you you just had a totally different agenda, and then suddenly you find yourself in the middle of something wonderful. So a number of years ago, like several decades ago, I was able to go to New Zealand and Australia. In New Zealand, the people I was traveling with, we got a car, and we were just wandering down the west coast of the South Island. And it was a windy road, and you had to watch out for the sheep and things like that that might be out there. But then suddenly we came around a corner, and there were all of these people dressed like bumblebees <laughs> or honeybees. But I think they were bumblebees. And they were in costumes and wandering around in costumes. And, and you know, we thought you had walked or driven into the twilight zone of some sort. Was but one of them John Bellucci? No, was it was say. not. It was not. But they it was a, um, their local rugby team had oh. was, had just won the nat their oh, cool. you know local thing and so they were celebrating with the parade and the team was called the bumblebees or the honeybees and so it's moments like that to yes. me that's the unexpected that that are so wonderful that's so wonderful about being able to travel and and honestly I do think that even if you do travel just across the county line or to just a place you've not been before even if it's close by it's 
inspiring for us as writers. Oh, I, oh, I think those may be oh, grandbabies. I think they, they maybe we're they're looking on the, at we're looking at the grandbabies. Yeah, yeah they are dressed up like bumblebees, and yes. I was wondering if that's <laughs> that what will be. Yes, <laughs> they, that that'll be on our webs. I mean, our Facebook page. Do you too, remember so. when we were in Santa Fe? Katie and I went to Santa Fe, by the way, mm-hmm. and we not wand- San Antonio. <laughs> we wandered into that church where two opera singers right. were practicing. Oh yeah, oh cool. See, they are the yeah. That's it's, the best. Those are the moments uh-huh. to me that are just that's what magic is all about well, and, and you've got to be open to that when we visited the grandbabies one time it was before the grandbabies actually um it was so in it was at the, the wedding it was, that's right, it was at the marriage of the the parents of the grandbabies in austria my brother and his wife and my husband and i rented a car and we went over to italy i'd never been to italy and my idea of traveling to Italy was, let's go. We knew some cities we wanted, like Venice and Treviso, that we wanted to see. But I wigged out my brother and sister-in-law completely because we'd go into this city and they'd go, well, where are we going to stay? I said, look for the big eye. What? The big eye? <laughs> and I said, yeah, there'll be an information booth. And they go, well, how are we supposed to find that? I said, look for the center of town. Well, how are we supposed to find that? Look for the church. <laughs> yes. Right. And, you know, you have those little ideas, and we found the most delightful places that way. We mm-hmm. stayed in a, a B&B that was run by um, a, a lady and her husband, and her mother was there, and her mother was in her 90s and spoke no English. We were close enough to um, Austria that they still spoke German, and she would come in and just chit-chat with us in German, and <laughs> my brother and sister were freaking out. What is she saying? What is she saying? Yeah. She wants to know if we want eggs for breakfast. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. So yeah, those are the, I think you're right, that is the delight mm-hmm. of, of traveling, is mm-hmm. to find the new. Or yeah. find something unexpected. Exactly. Right. Yeah. When I was in Germany, in southern Germany, I went to a Franciscan monastery called Etal because it has one of the most beautiful churches ever. And I went there in the early morning, by, and I was by myself in the church, and this bus pulled up, and all these ancient women, probably our age now, uh, <laughs> got out. And... Um, marched in German, marched into the church and started singing these old hymns in German and a cappella. And it's like, oh, my Lord. Yeah. You couldn't mm-hmm. pay for that. No, you no. couldn't. No. Yeah, it's great. Right. It is. And I, I do think that the trick there is that you've got to stop and pay attention. Yes. You know, you can't just be, my husband and I have this discussion everywhere we go. It's like, we are not on a forced march. Right. And Amen. he's sort of, you know, one of these people like, we're going to the destination. And I'm like, no, the destination, what is the, you know, there's <laughs> Confucius say, uh, but it's about the, it is about the journey. The journey and the journey. so I think that it's, but it's a hard thing for us to do sometimes in this culture. And maybe COVID has taught us all to pay more attention, to enjoy the fact that we can go anywhere and that we should enjoy the, the surroundings and where we are as we go to. I know when um, when we taught in Montepulciano, Italy, for many summers, we got to live in apartments all over the town. And it's a small town, and it's a wine town, of course. Mm-hmm. So um, you got to meet all the people that lived in the town. And they, the little old ladies love the students, oh, love the yeah. young students, That's and wonderful. would always talk to them in Italian. And 
<laughs> well, we could go on and on, and I'd love to, but I think we may be running okay, out of cool. time. So Aww. any last thoughts about travel before we move on to our mystic moment? No, I think that covers okay. it. All right, so who's had mystic moments? Well, we had a mystic moment last Saturday or Sunday. Last, we went to see the Obama portraits at the High Museum. And Katie, I have the Obama portraits for you, which I forgot to bring, but a postcard. And they are really, really fantastic. So um, they're going to be up at the High. They're traveling around the country, the High Museum in Atlanta, until March 25th. So definitely call and make reservations. And it's, you know, the portraits are there, but also information about the artists that made the portraits and the symbolism in them so it's very they're very very wonderful portraits and I was inspired by that to do portraits of all of the mystics mm. oh goody and which so, is a uh, mystic moment for so all of us all the mystics are going to bring me photos of themselves and in their favorite era oh my and gosh. these portraits are planning to go in our new book yeah because Yay. it's about life stages of mystics and yes. I think my picture I was maybe 21. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, yeah. and Marion's is probably the and same And I have age. not changed one bit. A svelte beauty she was. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, my mystic moment has to do with graveyards, and this moment happened several months ago. I told it on our last travel. Uh, we had one travel episode that didn't tape, and I don't know who was at the machine. <laughs> Me either. But they were an idiot. So... Um, Anyway, but that mystic moment I'm going to repeat, and that is my son and I were standing at Muhammad Ali's grave, and it's landscaped with trellises behind it. Trellises? When you go up? Terraces. Terraces, terraces. sorry. Mm -hmm. And it's quite beautiful. He's, he's buried east to west because he's a Muslim, and it was just an impressive grave. And my son walked up the trellises to take a picture down on the grave with me in it, and I looked at him, at him to smile, and this puff of white smoke went up behind him. And I said, where did that come from? And he turned around, and I swear it was gone, totally oh. gone. And I had not been doing the wacky weed. <laughs> and it, he said, what, what white smoke? So I'm pretty sure Muhammad Ali has seen me. <laughs> yes, he in set my, up a puff of white in, smoke. In my mystic moment, yeah, kind of like the Pope, the was, new chosen. Pope. The new right. Pope was chosen. <laughs> a message for the Queen. Oh dear, I'm afraid it's me. <laughs> well, speaking of travel, my husband and I have just come back from Austria. We went in January. Again, we were supposed to go in December for the holidays, but our flight was canceled due to the COVID. But we made it there and visited the grandchildren, had a wonderful time. They live in a little town called Tuln, which is on the Danube. But coming back, after we had, we've been uh, the Oma and the Opa, the Grandma and the Grandpa, that are on the little screen because we talked to them and FaceTimed them on the telephone. And so when we got to Amsterdam, it was about mid-morning and we called them. And it was the first time that they realized that those people on the little oh, screen oh, are the people that had visited with us. Wow. So that was our, and now they, when we talk to them on the phone, it's not like, okay, this is like watching a cartoon, which it still is. But, you know, they bring us things and talk to us and they realize that we're real people. So mm. it was nice. Aww. Well, I'm not sure I have a truly mystic moment from the last few weeks it, it, I, what I have it sort of goes back to the idea of just stop and be in the moment yeah and so for me 
I have to make myself do that. I don't know about y'all, but I, it's sort of trying to stop. And so the most mystical moment probably was that I was out walking our dog, who's this grumpy hound dog who nobody likes but me. And, and I was not happy with him because it was cold and it was, you know, I wanted to go inside and he wouldn't go. And and while I was out there, I looked up and the sky it was sunset time. Oh. And there, the sky was just so amazing. And it was one of those moments when you realize that sometimes you shouldn't get ticked off with the dog because <laughs> amazing things that you can see if you can do that. So you know, let the dog lead you. Sometimes. There you go. It's my mystical, at least, advice at this moment. Okay, I think that may be a wrap. It is. It is, and we should remember, be the flame. Not, Not the moth. <laughs>